Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indie. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all indie game business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. Hi, everybody. I'm Andy, and that's Jay. And I was muted. Radagast <laughs> and Gamer, what's up? Radagast, I got one of those 17 badges, too. See that badge so, in the chat? What? Oh, oh, that's for going to TwitchCon? Yeah, yes, TwitchCon badge. I could just, you know, buy that, I suppose, or, you know. You can't buy that badge. I could. Everything's got a price, Andy. <laughs> I don't know where you buy it from. You'd have to buy somebody's. I could theoretically buy someone's use account it as a you know use the art as a badge for the stream and give it to myself. But then go. it would look different. Yeah, I know. Of course, and the phone rings. All right, so and Netflix. Andy, yeah. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and jump in? I've got I've only got two articles up for news today, but they're actually a pretty big deal in and of themselves. First one, Fortnite on Android, but it's not going to use Google Play. It's not going to use anything. It's not going to be Google, its own Amazon. You're going to download nothing. it directly from the site, right? Yep. Download it directly from uh from Epic's page. Survive.io. Uh, I wonder how, I mean, I think they're big enough. They can just do that. You know, they are. I mean, that, that's the reality. You know, there, there's one because of the way Android is set up, you know, you don't necessarily have to get things through Google or Amazon or any of the other two or three dozen, you know, sites that are out there, but you know, they've got enough following now with Fortnite that, you know, they can afford to say, you know, look, if you if you want the game, you come to our site and get it. Sure, you could use a controller. I have a couple of different kinds of controllers for my mobile devices. Where are they? I have one for my iPad. It's great for people who aren't able to play it on a traditional console, though. Exposure is great. They make a lot of money. $2 million a month. Isn't that what the income was from uh, the Apple? $2 million a month, yeah, from iOS, which means... I did the math in an article that I wrote on LinkedIn. They are giving $18 million a month to Apple. Wow. And they don't, they're they like, we don't want to do that to Google Play. We're just going to do it ourselves. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to. That, that's, the, that, that's the catch. And then, you know, right on the tail of that, Bethesda says, oh, yeah, and Fallout 76 won't be on Steam. I feel like that's risky, but. But again, 
I don't know. I, you know, Fallout is one of those franchises that I, I, I almost hesitate to call uh, Fallout a mass market game because it has got a very passionate following, even though, you know, every time they announce a new version of it, that following announces that it's the end of the world and it's going to be horrible and, you know, everything is dead to them. But, you know, people that want to play a Fallout game know where to get it. Going to have a major fallout from that decision. Yeah, oh my god, yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's risky, but it's not like they're the only ones who... Oh you know, have done this and have tried this. Right. You know, it's like EA games aren't on Steam. You know, Ubi has some games on Steam. You know, there are a lot of places that, you know, and a lot of games that just simply don't need it. And so um, I think it's, you know, interesting. I think it's good. You know, I think it's, it's timely if you rewind about a month when, you know, Tim Sweeney said, you know, we're not going to take 30% from the Unreal Asset Store anymore. We're only going to take 12 and we're going to give the creators 88%. Now that makes a whole lot more sense because they can't come out and say, well, you know, we, we don't want to do this. It's too much. And <laughs> yet they're the ones yeah. taking 30%. So, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that kind of fits into that whole, you know, strategy dialogue that they have that they've been creating anyway going for and, and tim said this last year his keynote at um gamescom at devcom last year he was talking about how you know it was bs that these stores take 30 percent when you know the analogy he drew was mastercard and visa and the credit cards you know they take two or three percent for basically handling a transaction now you can argue that apple and, and google play and steam do more than just handle a transaction you know there is discoverability built in but when you've got a game like you know fortnite or a game like fallout 76 how much is that discoverability actually worth to them mm -hmm. it'll be it'll be interesting to like see how it ends up um just as a data point so i am hoping that they then turn around and Epic being them turns around and opens up a platform for developers to sell other games through, you know, PC or Android. Um, that would because be they epic. could, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, they could because they've got a, you know, like I said, they've got that footprint. You know, we talked about this last week. There's a direct correlation between when Steam user numbers started falling and when. Fortnite numbers started exploding. But imagine that. Imagine the discoverability of that. Let's say they launch five other games on the same platform as Fortnite. So they have all of those eyes that log into Fortnite and see did it, did it, did it, did all of these other games. Oh, brilliant. That's probably yep. going to happen. And you've already seen it to <laughs> an extent with, um, with Activision. They've started using the Blizzard launcher, which used to be you know, strictly Blizzard games, and now it's Blizzard games and Destiny. So they've started kind of creeping in that because you can't buy Blizzard games on, you know, on Steam. Right. I, so I will say, as an as an end user, that annoyed me a little because um, 
I got Destiny in the Humble Bundle and then thought I would try it for like an hour and then had to go download the Blizzard Launcher just, just for that. And then, you know, when I was done with Destiny, had to like uninstall all that crap later. But it was, it was, it was obnoxious for me as an individual. But I so, totally understand why they did that. I understand. What, what annoyed me about it was the fact that, you know, I like my Blizzard Launcher being just my Blizzard Launcher. I, don't, <laughs> I didn't want that other stuff in there. Um, but I mean, that brings up a good question then. So are you're not a, a Hearthstone player? Um, I've played Hearthstone in the past, but uh, not not really very much anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I was, I was just curious. Um, I, I don't have time really to to do things like that. Basically, the, the time that I get to, to a lot to playing games is more like, I want to experiment with as many different games as I can, and I don't get to like delve too deeply into anything. Like I don't have time to play like you know, like grind up a ladder and try to like be the best or you know unlock a bunch of stuff. I just you know, most of my days I'm going to bed at three, and that's when I stop working. So, yeah. Oh, three in the afternoon's good. early to go to bed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's when I'm getting up, you know. Yeah, yeah. I wish, I wish. A nice little siesta right in the afternoon. Now comes the fun oh. part of the game. I get to play Slay the Spire. Yay! So, are you playing with a um a controller, or are you playing with a mouse keyboard? Playing with a mouse keyboard. You can play with a controller. Uh, you know. can, all, you you can, although it's still like a feature that you know might have some issues. And we're there's so many different controllers that we're you know just still trying to improve that. So. I've been wondering, you know, as I started, you know, playing it on the on the Android tablet, how well that worked. I don't even have a controller set up for the Android tablet yet, but you know, it was. Um, I've been wondering if 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 I could do that, but. We'll How see. are you playing games on on Steam Link if you don't uh, have that set up? Because I'm, it's a touch. I mean, the the Nexus screen acts as a mouse, but it's just touch screen. Ah, it works surprisingly well. Yeah, I mean, so when we when we sat down and kind of designed this game, we thought about you know, maybe going to mobile in the future, and so we wanted to make it so that you could you could basically just play with your finger. So. The only problem is, it's like like I was telling Anthony, you know, you you can't like mouse hover over a elixir or a well, you can tap the elixir and tell you what it is, but you can't when you're having when you get to a treasure chest, you have to pick one of the three relics. You can't like hover over it to see what it is. If you tap it, you select it. So you're kind of like rolling the <laughs> dice on that one, um, and then it's really hard to throw potions at yeah. enemies. We, we have a list of, like, things that we want to do to enhance that because, you know, Steam Link coming out kind of just was a huge surprise to us, right? So, well, and the rest of the industry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we want to make... Uh, so, for example, for a mobile interface, we would have it where the potions are bigger, the, the slots that you can click them easier, and then when those relics come up, like, in a boss chest, you choose it, it would have, like, little descriptions probably hovering by the relics. You could actually have that... Huh. So, so, so we have like things planned to address that stuff, but you know, there's somewhere in a giant list of tasks that <laughs> or 
things to do, so at some point. Well, you need to get to it because it's really impairing my ability to play <laughs> on an obscure device through a very new yeah. medium off of a PC. It's, um, we, we need to get that fixed, like, ASAP. So, you know, for those that don't know, tell us, you know, how you guys got here because you have the story that every single one of us at some point in time has started of, you know, in college, sitting around going, hey, you know what? We should make a game and start a game company. I mean, everybody has that, com everybody who's in the industry or even fans of the industry at some point has had that, you know, thought. So you all did it. So yeah. I mean, walk us through it. Tell, tell us how you got here. Sure. So um... first off, thank you, Mortal Nikki, for the host. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> You're done. Go on. That was, that was beautiful timing. Um, so, so yeah. So Casey and I met up in in college. There were a bunch of different game clubs, um, and we thought, hey, we both like games, and we're doing computer science. Uh, why don't we try to make some? Just just as like a hobbyist thing. So we made a flash game that I think is actually still, you know, out there that somebody took and put it on their website, um, and in uh, a little iPhone game. And, you know, they, they were, I would not say that they were good games, but they were games, you know. <laughs> uh, they, they had problems, we'll say. But it was a really great learning experience. We learned a ton. Um, we learned a lot about the importance of, like, properly doing playtesting. Um, and then we thought, okay, well, we, well, we got our degrees. We thought, okay, that was fun. And we actually went out into the software industry for a bit and uh, got experience in the software industry, made a lot of money. Um, and then once we had done that, we, we met up again and we were like, hey, you know, that was fun. Why don't we do that except do it right this time? I like the whole part of we did this and made a lot of money. That's- Yeah, well, yes. uh, yeah. So, so, so uh, and yeah, so when we left our job, saved up enough to where, you know, we could not work for a while. So, um, nice. you know, we weren't, we weren't, um, we didn't have to like struggle to eat, which is important as it turns That's out. That's extremely important. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. And, uh, it, it helps that, you know, I've, my wife's also a software engineer. So, you know, is and been a better programmer than I am. So it was fine. But, uh, anyway, so, so, so we left and then, uh, then we started working on Slay the Spire and, uh, we just got really serious into it, working on it full time. And then and it just blew up into a huge success more than we ever expected so and that's key you know because that was one of my questions it's like you know it took you guys two and a half years to you know get to this point mm -hmm. you know what did you do in the meantime you know were, were you on a ramen diet for two years or you know so it's it's good to know and and i think it's one of those things that a lot of developers kind of gloss over it's like you know you've got to have something going on either money you've saved up or you know a, a wife or a husband who's bringing in money and will also put up with you not having a real job <laughs> for two years i mean i uh, i know that i'm on my second startup i haven't had a real job in 10 years and i have a wonderful wife that just kind of like grins and rolls her eyes and goes you know all right here we go again you know but that's an important part of this i mean you can't just you know walk into your oh. boss's office one day and throw up a middle finger and then start 
you know, start you a game company. There's more that goes into it. Yeah, and and part of it is is we're both like really frugal people. So I mean, and and you know, it was we had thought a lot about it. It wasn't just like a spontaneous decision. It was very much like, okay, uh, I think you know we can last for you know I can last for like this long, and like this is you know a good amount of time, and you know here's some like you know there was some math done. So you know you don't just want to be like I'm gonna do it and then just have no plan i think that that's a terrible way to go about it like we a lot of thought was put into that initial step so so it wasn't a situation where you're like okay so we're either going to do a shooter or a (laughs) roguelike drafting card game or um so i mean we know that you're a huge fan of of netrunner and you've played that a lot you know how did that factor into you know what you've done with the game and you know was this always the design you know that that you and casey had in mind or how has it evolved you know over the over the last two three years so it it has evolved a lot um but the core like the core experience of being a roguelike deck building game was kind of like in my initial design doc that i made um so in our spare time, Casey and I had just like, you know, we, we are, <clears throat> excuse me, we like game design. So we, we had like come up with different ideas. I think Casey had actually made some, a few prototypes and things um, while he was working at the big software company. But, uh, but yeah, I, I had thought that a roguelike and a card game would be a good fit together just mechanically. Like, okay, it's a genre mashup, but why is that a good mashup? Um, and it's because to me, my favorite part of card games is the deck building. Yeah. So, so like in particular, I've played, I've played magic since I was a little kid, uh, magic, the gathering. And my favorite part in magic is doing drafts where, you know, everyone sits down at a table and you draft a new deck. And that's, that to me is like magic at its best. And a roguelike gives you an excuse to constantly build a new deck. Whereas like in a constructed game, like Hearthstone. You know, you're just you're gonna build like the best meta deck, and you're gonna go grind a bunch of games with it. So, um, so, 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 so yeah, that that like experience is always there, and you know, it evolved a ton. I mean, like uh, the initial prototype we have, I think we still have uh, some video of it, but it's like there's no map, you can't choose where to go, you just go to the next floor instantly, and it like randomly picks a thing. There's no like intense or anything like that, so there was a lot different. Yeah, the um, I, I love the deck building aspect of it as well, but I am absolutely horrible at drafting, you know, because <laughs> I get like halfway through it and then go, I probably shouldn't have been like picking the cards that I like the best. I probably should have had a bit of strategy in here along the line somewhere. Um, and that's what you know. Even playing Slay the Spire, I have the same issues. I get like halfway through it and went, "Oh wait, you know what? Probably should have been working on something along the lines of an exhaust deck or something." I, you know. I never think that deep. My my problem is I will play a card and then afterwards go, "Dang it, I should have played that last," or "Dang it, I'll play a card last." And I'm like, "I just did it." I'm like, "Oh," and then I did this. Why did I play this? Because it wears off and I haven't even done anything. So, well, so that, that a happens way. a lot, and I think that actually it's it's a good thing because because we present all of the information, we give you the opportunity to do that, 
And what I, what I say by that is, um, if if you know if it was hidden and you like didn't know what the enemy was gonna do, you might not do that. And then when when bad things happen to you as a result, you wouldn't go, oh, I screwed up. You'd go, oh, this is just RNG bullshit, you know. And so we're giving you an opportunity to learn. Um, and so that's actually really important for why it works, I think. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I saw this in, an, in, a, in another interview you did, or maybe it was just someone's review and commentary on the game. It's like you have combinations that are possible in the game that are just like ridiculously overpowered. You know, I play the hidden character a whole lot, which always confuses me because it's not hidden. It's, you know, that's the name of the, you know. The, the silent so, or... Yes, that one. That's, that's okay. what I meant. That's the silent. The, um, you know, the because uh, I've, I've always loved poison decks. You know, when I first started playing Magic, back when I was in college, you know, I showed up to a local tournament with a poison <laughs> deck, and people were like, the, the, "What do you? That's not anywhere. It, it was nowhere near a meta game. I didn't win the tournament, but I actually ranked pretty high because no one was expecting it. And you know." you can go in and you can, you know, lay the damage and lay, layer the poison on an enemy. And then you, you know, throw catalyst down, which doubles it. And then you throw, you know, the corpus explosion. And you can just create these ridiculous combos, but you know, you got to get lucky and get the cards. And at the end of the run, you, you know, you're done. You can't go back. You're not saving that deck for the next run. You know, you go and, you know, you start all over from scratch. So, you know, that's one of the things that I think is, you know, it's really cool about the game is you can actually, with the right amount of luck and strategy, create some ridiculous deck combinations that, you know, make it fun and give you that, like, all-powerful feeling. Yeah, and and uh, basically that's possible because it's a single-player game. Um, because, you know, I don't have to worry about, oh, if I make this card, do this crazy shenanigan with this other card then it's going to be unfair and people will you know it'll dominate a meta and then you know everyone will have to deal with playing against it no the only thing that's going to happen is that the player is going to feel really great while they're playing with that and so that's why by being a single player experience we're differentiating ourselves from like all of the other games that are trying to be on hearthstone's playing field right so i think that that's like key and it's why it's why we've had a press like oh why don't you guys have multiplayer pvp in the game and in addition to being like a ton of work like it's (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know and and like you know i can't just press the multiplayer button (laughs) (laughs) uh you know it, it would also kind of just go against like the core design so it wouldn't actually be a good experience so but i mean and that's a very valid point you know you don't necessarily, you know, have that, have to worry about, is it fair? Mm-hmm. Because the reality is, you know, it may be completely unfair to, you know, the monsters in the spire, but, you know, come next time around, you know, the next time you start up a game, you know, you, you're not going to have that option. It's not like you're, you know, you're creating something that is so powerful that it's going to make the game unfun, you know, fr- from there on out. Um, yeah. So while we're in this, you know, neck of the woods in the conversation. You know, I know you tapped into a lot of the contacts and a lot of the folks that you knew, you know, from your Netrunner days in terms of balancing. Oh, yeah, sorry. How <laughs> on 
earth? I mean, how, how did the process go from, you know, who comes up with the cards? You know, how are they tested? You know, how are they balanced? You know, walk us through the process on that because, you know, with the number of cards you all have, it's, this is not an easy process. Yeah, and, and so, so part of that is, you know, I, I knew from my card game background because, you know, every card game I've played has balance issues. Like, you know, uh, if, you've, if you've played Magic at any point, you know, it. there are overpowered things, there are garbage unplayable cards. And I knew that, you know, just Casey and I were not going to be able to do an adequate job of balancing everything. And so we, we did a couple things. Uh, one is I'm just friends with a lot of the good, like high level Netrunner players. Um, so for example, the back-to-back -back Netrunner world champion, uh, he's good friends with me. And so I was able to just say, hey, and reach out to him and say, hey, why don't you come play test this game I'm working on? And then he could you know, provide good feedback. And so, so what we did is uh, we set up an internal Slack that has different channels for everything. And one of which is our playtester channel. And then we just we invite people in to be internal playtesters. They play test in there, and then if they provide any feedback, we have a bot that like collects all of that feedback, so they can be playing at you know when I'm asleep, and then I can come back and my bot will have collected all the feedback. And That's I can look cool. At it. That's really yeah. cool. And then the other thing we did is we another that would whenever we would do a push to our master branch, get into coding a little there but whenever we would basically you know tag a release build um not an actual release build at the time but a build that was good enough for the playtesters a bot would automatically push out a build into that channel and our playtesters could immediately download the newest build wow so basically our playtesters constantly had access to new builds and we were putting pushing out like new builds every day so this is a couple things one it meant that their their feedback was really up to date and two, it kept them really motivated to keep playing. Because even when our game doesn't have a lot of content, right, the build they play on Monday is different than the build they play on Tuesday. And then your your friends who might, you know, like if I'm just if I'm just like pushing out a game and I'm like, hey guys, want a lot of times maybe they just play it for an hour or two, give some feedback, be done with it. But instead I was leveraging these um, my friends and other people and keeping them interested so that they can keep providing valuable feedback. Um, and so I think that was actually really, really important. Um, and that's even before getting into the metric stuff, so uh, which I can also go into. But this, uh, basically, we, we leveraged Slack and used it to our advantage in a big way with thoughts. Um, so, I mean, the metrics, you know, that, that's one of the other things I wanted to, you know, catch on so obviously with the computer science and the you know, general programming background that you and Casey both had mm -hmm. you're able to go in and create these tools you know yeah. so aside from you know the feedback tool you know and, and I know from you can go in and you can look at all this data on all these games that were played by all these users and see you know the relics that they got and, and the cards that they chose and all that kind of good stuff was that part of you know is that tool part of the the one that you're using for balancing and if not you know what other tools are you using or have you all created in-house to you know to help manage all this sure so so basically it's um 
it's two things. So one, it's the it's the bot that collects feedback, and so, um, and that's one. It was in our internal playtester Slack, and then it's also in our official Discord now. So any person who's playing the game can provide fe feedback with the feedback bot in our Discord channel, and and we use that. We, you know, that's where people file bugs and suggestions and all kinds of stuff and it you know it gets overwhelmed with a lot of junk too but you know you can also filter through it and try to find the good stuff but so that, that's one thing that's that and then the other thing is uh fr from this early stage so after we created the feedback bot stuff we also you know, implemented our internal metrics so whenever anyone would play the game uh, it would submit their metric data to our metric server and then we would analyze it with graphs and charts and things and look, okay, this enemy is doing this much damage on average. This card's being picked this percentage of the time. Stuff like that. And that's because um, I'm a pretty data-oriented person and I wanted to look at things in a pretty analytical way. Or at least, you know, try. And obviously there's flaws and I'm not a statistician. Um, but, and, but we do our best trying to use that as not like the final word but as a tool in our toolbox. So just using that data as another thing we can look at, like, okay, I made this change. How did it impact the data, right? Like, okay, this, this card shot up a lot in use or win percentage, <clears throat> things like that. And so we implemented that early on because we might have a player who's a play tester and they're providing good feedback. You know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll say like one thing a day, but maybe they're playing for hours and hours of time and they're only providing one piece of feedback, but um, it's much more valuable to still get all of that data from the games that they're playing. And maybe, especially at that personalized level, I could go in and look and see, uh, okay, you know, here's why they said this feedback. I can actually look at their games and see, like, the cards they picked and what happened. And so even when we didn't have a huge sample size like we do now with our, like, entire player base, it was still incredibly useful, like, help us just narrow down and get a good look at what our playtesters were experiencing. And then the ultimate, like, how we ultimately balance is a combination of playtester feedback, our metrics, and then our experience. Because I played a ton of our game. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of it is just, you know, a lot of it is my personal feel and opinions on just playing it so much and becoming an expert on it, basically. But all three of those things combine, and you can't trust any one of them too much they're just all the way to think about it is they're all useful tools and you know you have to treat it like a tool and um realize that it has limits but you can try to apply it in a way that makes sense so yeah because when you're playing your own game your head is so inside of it it's really very hard to like know you can be playing that is this even fun i don't even know you know what i mean yeah and and that's uh that's one of the things the, uh, with the games we made in college where uh, so we made like a little shoot 'em up flash game mm -hmm. and uh, we had play tested it so much individually that I was like man this game is way too easy you know like this game is like for babies and then the game was actually insanely difficult um, and like no one <laughs> it was way too difficult uh, especially for the flash game market <laughs> so, so, which was an issue but, but you know it, it, the people who who liked that level of difficulty were like, man, this is like one of the best flash games ever. But you know, that's a very small number of people. So 
that yeah. that's the niche and you know the niche is wonderful sometimes but it also doesn't generally pay all the bills yeah, uh, all right let's jump into before we get too far into anything else i did you know being the wonderful host that i am just now remember to launch our giveaway so uh anthony has been kind enough to give us two keys yeah. to the game and so we type exclamation mark raffle You'll get entered in the raffle. We'll do one of the giveaways here in about 15, 20 minutes, and we'll do another one uh, at the end, or hell, we may just do them both at once, either one, one or the other. Type exclamation raffle to get in. Um, we've got, we've still got our giveaway as well for the guide to publishing, basically, that's below with the dude being all excited in his blue suit. Um, and I can tell you now that the console version of that is done too. So if you win that one, you know, you can pick between the PC, the mobile, or the console version, whichever oh, one nice. you want. Um, yeah, was, it, that actually came together all pretty quick. I'm very, very happy about it. But yeah, that's that's a Gleam competition. So just click there and go to it and do all that. Uh, all right. So uh, questions. Let's see here. Let me scroll way back up. And Radagast asked, you know, is there a mobile version on the horizon? Um, we do plan on porting it to mobile. Yes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Short yes. answer. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, da, 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 hold on, I gotta flip through this. Andy's much better at this than me, but he's playing the game right now. Uh, I, I can do it. Here, let's. Uh, uh, the game can pause. But I'm All right. So. Uh, Gamer husband wants to know, back in your magic days, what color deck did you favor? Even though, you know, he's over in the UK and he spelled favor wrong. Blue and black <laughs> was the answer. Yeah, I, I usually favor black. I uh, I like to tell my opponents no. They can't yes. have fun. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hated blue decks. <laughs> uh, basically not red and, you know, not green. So, <laughs> not red and not green. He also yeah. says, "I'm glad you used uh, Lib GDX and not Unity. Do you think that helped your game success? As Unity is so buggy." Um, man. So this it's mixed. There's there were pros and cons to what we did. Um, and there's still some cons affecting it today that I can go into. But uh, you know, there were like there were certainly pros in that uh, Unity takes a cut, right? So. Had to give a cut of everything. Give him a cut. Uh, but there were times where, so part of why we did libgdx Lib is uh, Casey was comfortable with it and it could handle Linux, Mac, and and Windows. And we definitely wanted it to be out on all platforms easily. Uh, and we would have had to like learn Unity from the ground up. And because we're both, we come from a software background. We both like that libgdx is just all about. Um, I'm not like clicking and dragging stuff and dealing with the, a GUI. Now, obviously, a lot of people really like working with a GUI, but it kind of just slows me down. And we both like to like work at a really breakneck fast pace. So, um, but uh, there are problems. So, for example, if we ran into an issue like with something with the engine, very few people are using libgdx. So, what that means is if I go and I Google that problem, I might not find an answer yeah. or maybe I find an answer and like one person replied. Whereas unity has a ton of people and a huge community, right? So if you run into an issue with unity, you are going to go and you're going to find people who can 
help you out. You're, you know, so like that's that's a big advantage that we didn't have access to. Um, Unity also probably would have handled some of the resolution stuff and things like that better. So I can't say um, whether LibGDX was better or worse. I know a lot of people like that. Hey, it's not different, and so that that's pretty cool. But um, it's worked for us, so. So Gamer Husbands, you know, has a question that I wanted to get to anyway. The Chinese market, how did, and we'll talk about localization, you know, next, but how did the, the launch in China, I mean, obviously it affected everything because you got a huge amount of sales, but, you know, is that something you expected? You know, what did you, what did you do? You know, what kind of advice do you have for other studios who want to have, you know, to at least get to that market and, you know, test everything out. So, so we did not expect to be at in China. Um, I've known that like in Asia in general, card games are, are big. I mean, they're bigger than they are here. Right. So, um, like I went on vacation to Japan once and I, I noticed that in our, in arcades over there, they have like the, really popular game that actually uses cards that you buy like booster packs for and you like interface it with the arcade machine like and it's really really popular um so card games are, are big over in asia and uh i think that was that was um i suspected that but i didn't know the degree it was going to happen and how it how it started was basically we launched the game and a, a little shortly after launch like uh I don't remember exactly how many weeks, but a few weeks after launch, a big Chinese streamer started playing the game. And he, he put out a video where he played the game. And everything was in English still. We had no localization at the time, but he just like translated it. And it that video blew up. It got like over half a million views. And then all of a sudden, like overnight, the majority of our player base was Chinese. And, and we, we were initially, we were, yeah. And we were thinking, oh, because oh, like our plan was, you know, we'd go into early access, we'd do like the early access thing. And then eventually we'd like pay a localization company to like, you know, localize it. That's how we do it. Um, but we immediately, we were like, we need to localize like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so we immediately like reach out, found a localization company and they, did like localization but the thing is because we're doing weekly updates the localization gets out of date so quickly that it just it doesn't really work so we um so instead that's when we started doing this community thing where we set it up where we would do community-based translations and we have it in our discord server we have all these different channels and anyone can join in and start translating and that's worked really really well for us because we have such a good dedicated community and because we're releasing constant updates they're motivated right because um especially when we like totally rework a card you don't want your language to say like the old version of the card so right right um yeah. And, and, and then it just kind of took off from there, but, uh, but, and then once we did localize, obviously big deal, uh, especially for Chinese. So, and then, but yeah, it's, it's just, it really has kind of been a huge hit in China. And I, you know, I like card games are bigger 
in Asia and in China specifically, but I I don't know why our game specifically has appealed to China more than like another game. That I actually don't know. I think you know there was that initial success, and then we've been really supportive of China. I think that's been a big part of it. Yeah. Well, thanks, know, Dev I, Dan. That's awesome. Dev Dan says thanks for streaming your channel. IGB inspires me to start my own Twitch channel for German game designers. That's awesome. Awesome. That Inspiration. So the how so how many copies did you sell in China, or have you sold in China? Oh, a lot. <laughs> but, but uh, we're talking like significant six figures. Uh, so China, um, you know, I I can't I technically I can't say, right? But like uh, China is 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 our biggest individual market even still. Like it's yeah. uh it, it's about even with the. But for a while, it was like over fifty percent of our player base was Chinese. Yeah. For a good while, so and, and, and that's a market that and no, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to, you know, tell you to give us the exact sales figures down to the, yeah. you know, dollar. The that is a market that so many people and so many developers don't think about because one, it is a challenge. You know, when we hear about companies taking their games to China, they're generally talking about taking the mobile versions to China, which. Yeah. is a endeavor in and of itself that's beyond anything that you might think it would be to get actual traction for a mobile game in China. But, you know, with Steam, it pretty much allows you to, you know, open it up to the Chinese market because you didn't do anything special, you know, to mm -hmm. release it there. You just, you know, had it available, right? Exactly, yeah. And so in that way, um, you know, we're really fortunate. But... I think uh, I think part of it, and like maybe the art style, uh, kind of appeals more in China as well. And then uh, a lot of it's just being really, really supportive. So like, you know, we get tech support emails all the time, and you know, I I deal with them. So so and nice. so like you know, I get I get emails with all these. I use Google Translate, and I try my best to to you know answer and help them out and like we might go back and forth a little bit but you know i'm gonna i try so and and i think that is like noticeable right so and we have some we have some great people some like super fans um that are chinese and like work with us on the translations and they've given us a lot of feedback so um like they'll be like hey this, the chinese players are saying this i'm like we'll take that into account so we will fix that immediately. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and that's and you touched on something else that you know is the beauty of a small company. It's it's not like you know you and Casey get to sit in your you know nice plush office and let the rest of the people yeah. on the team deal with stuff. You know if you send a if there's a bug or you send feedback in, you know it's actually a highly probable that Anthony and Casey are the ones reading this stuff. You know, yep. so don't be a dick when you do it. That's, you know, one of the main things. But, you know, you have to juggle all of these different aspects of, you know, running a company when you, you don't have much. I mean, that's how I learned. I graduated college 20 years ago and I had taken one business class and I got a C in it, you know. And so, you know, you learn everything on the job, you know, which is yeah. part of the reason why we do this this channel in the first place it's to so you hopefully imparting some knowledge you know to folks before they go out and completely and utterly you know fail because they didn't know this stuff you know we're trying to you know help it along there so you know 
what challenges you know have you seen because you are self-publishing mm -hmm. what challenges have you seen what would you do different what would you you know highly recommend for other developers to do early on you know how has that process been for y'all so so that's actually interesting because i've never had a publisher i'm not a hundred percent um sure what we've had to do differently as a result of not having one and so so what i mean by that is, is my knowledge of publishers here is like, you know, I, I've seen GDC talks, you know, on the topic. And, you know, we, we actually reached out to publishers and tried to get a publisher uh, initially. Um, and I can go into that more too. But um, yes, we want to go into that. You don't have to name, you don't have to name the ones that, you yeah, know, I, yeah, the I'm, opportunity, but. Yes, yes, I'm not, we actually reached out to, uh, but, but yeah, and, uh, Anyway, we'll get into that. But, um, but yeah, so, so basically our thought was, uh, you know, we had money, so we didn't need money. And our thought was, okay, we're not marketers. We, we really want a publisher to, like, you know, deal with, okay, like, how are we going to do the trailer right? You know, how are we going to do marketing? It's like, you know, that's not a thing we're good at. Um, and so that was the, the thing that we were hoping a publisher would say that we had to kind of do ourselves. And so that's what I would say is the thing that we had to try to solve. And so, you know, I did like the kind of standard advice where, you know, we sent out like, you know, e customized emails to different outlets and stuff like that at all the various times you're supposed to. And, you know, got literally zero traction with any of that. But, um, uh, you, you know, and we tried all thing. Like, I, I say that there's like a kind of traditional marketing advice thing um, where it's like, you know, how you handle trailer, email, like your social media, stuff like that. And I, you know, I don't think we actually handled that like super well. Like, you know, we didn't have like a dev blog that was getting a lot of hits. Our social media was fine, but it wasn't like, it wasn't getting big numbers when we mm -hmm. launched or anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wouldn't say that like uh, we have a lot to, so I would say in that regard, I don't have a lot to teach people because I didn't do that part very well, if that makes sense. Um, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't send out a great, a great thing to like uh, talk you and get a response. Right. Uh, Kotaku wrote about us after we were successful because, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, you know, that's not uncommon. Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, so, um, it, everything to do with like that aspect of marketing, that was the hard part. There was, uh, marketing's, you know, it's complex. There's like a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, there's not just like advertising like that. There's also just like the composition of your game and things like that. And that, that I think we did really good on. Um, but yeah, it was that outreach and how to get eyeballs. That was the hard part. And, uh, it's worked, but it's worked in ways that, um, have more to do with other things than I think even a publisher would helped with that makes so sense. so basically the so many people liked the game it, and people saw it and then they liked it and and that's what happened it didn't really have anything to do with right anything. yeah so like it, it didn't have that press releases that's like that's yeah. the that's the dream right there the yeah, every, so... everyone wants to happen yeah so so there's a couple things so in in development i was how are we gonna how are we gonna sell this game right and I, we thought, okay, we need to make our game so that it works as well as possible for streamers and YouTubers. 
because that that's like that's how this is gonna work right. and also that's how that's how most people find games in the like honestly if you're not making a game that can take advantage of streamers and youtubers in the current market and you're not triple a you are having a really tough time for yourself so, so we try to do what were the, what were the specific kind of things that you did to make it appeal to to broadcasters sure so for example um a big part of it is that all of the information and everyone can look at it at any time right and it's presented pretty well so like if you jump in and you can you can actually see okay huh, i like for example that moment where you saw how you how you messed up when you were playing right right all the watchers can see the streamer screw up and think oh you know and they have that moment oh i could do better than them uh so for example that happens with northern lion a lot uh he's a he's a one yeah um guy and so a lot of people say hey i watched northern and I, I thought I could do better, so I decided to buy it. St stuff like that. Um, and then there's. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's yeah, funny. Like that, that's that, I mean, yeah, that's a good angle. That a lot. Really? Yeah. Um, and then th there's just a lot of little things. Um, uh, a lot of it is the replayability and the variability help a lot because, um, like, when if you think about how YouTubers are often making like thumbnails and stuff, you know, what makes for an interesting thumbnail. You can be like, you can be like, oh, I have a corruption dead branch run, and they can be like, oh, sick combo, and you know that'll be like their thumbnail, and that's like good content for them, right? So we have a lot of advantages for streamers, and that kind of works well. Um, and then the the big thing is that we were thinking, okay, if I can get like a big Hearthstone streamer to just play the game, that would be good because he'd be streaming like a to an audience that's receptive to it and because we're single player it's not like they're picking up a new lifestyle game hearthstone is i would call call it like a lifestyle game so it's a game that like you play it you like really dedicate yourself to it um and you know if you're gonna if we were like another multiplayer card game that's another lifestyle game you know you're not playing hearthstone like and a competitor to Hearthstone because you don't have time to like. You're not like buying card packs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're not getting you're not getting the whole card both sets. But for us, you know, it's a great thing to play. Like, hey, I'm a little bored of you know grinding up the ladder right now. I can play this, get like a different card experience for just a little bit of bite-sized time. That's the right length, and then go back to Hearthstone. So uh, that was that was like our hope, and then we actually did get you know, a lot of big Hearthstone streamers that stream per game because the kind of game that appeals to them, they streamed it and they streamed it to an audience receptive to it because that's the kind of game that they like, right? It's a card game. So I just want to show you right here. I, I'm right where I can rest and I have one hit point left. <laughs> uh, I like your chances. They're good. They're you good. should do Smith one of your cards. Don't rest. Get out of <laughs> here. Suck it up and go for it. So, um, out of curiosity, how many publishers did you pitch this to? Uh, so I want to say we pitched... Oh, man, what was... I th I th you know, it wasn't that many. It was, like, I think. It was, like, noteworthy ones. So so what we did is we did research. Like, everything we do, we do with, like, research and a lot of forethought. Um, so we did a lot. We did research and we're like, okay, what publishers do we actually like in terms of, like, it looks like they've actually provided value to past games that they've launched. 
Um, we compiled like a list, did some like research on them, and then sent out some, you know, some customized emails to each one. Um, and then we were we thought we had a good tag. We we thought we were because we also didn't need money, besides like you know whatever money would be spent on marketing and things like that. We were like we don't actually need like a loan of any kind. We don't need money. We have money, like you know, like. Let's work together. Let's you know. Let's make this work. And I'm really glad that they all said no. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, in hindsight, um, but I mean, that's a that's a key part of, of all of this. Is you get when you go in and you're like, we don't need funding. That can actually be a double edged sword because you know there are. There's a segment of publisher who, you know, they want to make sure that they have some sort of investment in it. And it's almost, you know, mm-hmm. detrimental to their mindset that you don't need their money because, mm-hmm. you know, they are for years they've been, you know, getting by and their whole business model is predicated on we're giving you money. So you need to do what we want you to do. And, you know, and this isn't all publishers and, you know, we track think we've got our pc thing has like 400 and plus pc publishers that are out there so you know obviously this doesn't you know factor into all of them but you know it's it's not exactly easy to go in and say okay we want to co-publish this with you we don't necessarily have to have you know you know a hundred thousand two hundred thousand half million a million dollars in funding let's talk this out you know, that's what I want people to realize. That's not exactly an easy prospect all the time. You know, that can cause its own issues, you know, with your publisher. So yeah. hold on. Let me do this raffle real quick. Raffle. So my husband, you know, will get off my case here. So we're going to, I'm going to give one away and then we're going to reset it and we'll do another one. So, you know, type exclamation part raffle to get in like ASAP. Exclamation mark uh, raffle, y'alls. All y'alls. I'll give, I'll give you a countdown here. We got five, four, three, two, one. All right. So we are closing that one. Pick a winner. Cyrus McCracken. Congratulations. Congrats. So send me a note and I will get you a, a your code. All right. And so now we're going to, um, yep, we're going to reset and another one. Again. Yep. We got one more code. So you can do, you know, exclamation mark raffle and we'll give this one away, you know, in a, in a little bit here. Um, oh, okay. So, so, so going, going back to her. So yeah. And I, that um if if the lack of money was a downside but also like maybe maybe our outreach was bad right um you know maybe we didn't do the emails correctly like that's very possible or maybe the screenshots or you know the gifs or gifs in this this case but um uh you know maybe those just weren't sexy enough you know so that there's there's a lot that goes into it and i know that people are busy we actually heard back from one of them we went back and forth a bit and it didn't pan out um but yeah so so like i totally understand um that there's a lot of reasons why it wouldn't have worked out but um yeah it's it's uh 
it's funny looking back. I'm sure that regret was had. So, well, you know, we we've all had that regret. You know, we can I can sit back and tell you about all sorts of, you know, games over the years that have gone off to make millions of you know in dollars that millions of monies. We didn't, you know, or in my days as an agent anyway, you know, we didn't take advantage of and we lost out on all that revenue. But I'll also tell you, and, you know, over the years, this this has not changed and it doesn't matter, you know, what we send out. This always seems to be true. If we have a game that we know will appeal to 100 publishers and we send it to 100 publishers, 33% of them will come back and respond we can take the same game send it to those publishers again in three weeks and 33 percent will respond and nine times out of ten it's not the same 33 <laughs> percent. yeah it's a just absolute insane hard to predict you know factor that goes into this and so you can't necessarily you know if you've got a game and you're pitching it you, you can't get all wrapped up in who's responding and who isn't, you know, one, that's why you follow up, but two, I mean, there's so many things that are going on, you know, in the, in a publisher's world that sometimes things just slip through the cracks, you know, or, you know, they look at it and they go, well, I'm not, it doesn't look interesting. I'm just not going to respond, but you know, it's, you never get everything and feedback from everyone when you're doing this, but you do have the pleasure you know, of sitting back at this point and going, you know what? I'm kind of glad it didn't work. <laughs> you know, we yeah. we could use the, this revenue along the way. Um, all right, so let's jump back to localization. You know, we put up, I, I put up a link to your Discord. Mm-hmm. There are 30, I counted these the other night. There are 33 rooms for localizations that you all have in there, which is... It, it makes me nerd out a little bit because, you know, back in my days as a publisher and as a, a developer, you know, part of what I did was build the distribution networks. And I think the most widely game I ever had, we did 22 or 23 localizations on. And, you know, to sit and look and see 33 different, you know, even if they're not far along at least there is interest in doing 33 different languages from a self-publishing small developer it just makes me smile because you know that's one of those things that and you've already seen it with china you know it it gives you that much opportunity to succeed so how are you and i know we touched on this earlier but how do you manage it you know (laughs) do you have spreadsheets are you using some software how on earth do you manage as a small company uh, uh, just just a lot of work to be honest <laughs> like uh whenever we put up our so whenever we release an, a new patch or a new update and basically those are we do once a week in the main branch for sure and then we actually have a beta branch um now in our early access we have a beta branch but uh and that gets <laughs> almost almost daily updates in um every weekday um for the most part um and whenever we put out a new update before we actually like set it like steam uh will post up any of the localization changes that get made to uh files that we have in the discord 
So um, we'll be like, oh, okay, this card was changed, and we'll note it, and like we'll post up the JSONs that have everything, and then that way pe the localizers can have time to translate it before we actually push it out. And we just we we manage everything through Git, so it kind of just makes makes it easy for us like to see what's changed. But it's uh, yeah, it's intense. I mean, we just get a lot of people. Hey, you know, Italian's done, or hey, here's China's update, and then we get in throw it in and get it in on the next update and yeah it's just we just kind of like manually do it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah. i've done this so i know how much work that is on top of you know the coding and you know taking time to, to talk to folks like us and, and everything else that goes into you know creating a game and and, and doing it and so that that's amazing and, and i definitely tip my hat to you on having that forethought and having that planning because a lot of people you know they, they don't think about it you know the standard rule that we've always had and i've seen proven over and over and over again is you can generate 40 percent additional revenue for your game if you localize it now obviously in y'all's case you blown right through that but you know that's typical when you you know do intelligent localizations you do them well and you do them you know on a timely matter um so yeah that that is super cool um yeah and and part of it is just our outlook is you know if there's desire for it why not like yeah i mean that's not a big deal like uh i think some people wanted to even localize in esperanto the you know made up language thank you for the and sub we were, and we were like sure go for it like we'll put it in like you know you know if people want it we can do it so uh uh, I think they're still working on that one. <laughs> That's awesome. When, when can we expect the Klingon version? Yeah, you know? well, if like someone wants to make jaw. it. Uh, game Dev Company, subscribe to tier, to tier 1 two months in a row. Thank you, man. Thanks, dude. Appreciate one. it. So, oh, yeah, and, and to everyone else out there, because I know we do have new viewers today, hit follow and follow us because we do this. This is the type of show that we do. You know, we are here to help you know, developers and small companies in the industry learn these things, you know, before you have to go out there and, and learn it by falling flat on your face, you know, in the industry. So um, go back, look at our videos. We've got all kinds of cool stuff. We've got, you know, playlists on YouTube. And, you know, if you've got questions for, for us or for Anthony in particular today, ask them in chat because that's what we want to do. You know, they've had a lot of success. And so we want everybody to, to learn from it in some way, shape, or form. So, um, all right, so let's talk about the game itself. This is where I'm going to take advantage of my platform. Yep. Give me the noob strategy. Should I be keeping a, a tight deck that I keep getting, you know, good cards in? Should I, you know, have a larger deck? What are you seeing as, you know, the designer and as the, the you know, reviewer of the metrics? How can I get better at this game? Okay, so the oh, so, it's not, <laughs> so it's not so much about that. That was um, Everybody wants so a big much, deck for sure. Like, like the the big thing is um, in terms of deck size, you don't want to think about it as how big should my deck be. Um, it, it's you know you can go like to an extreme with it, but when you're choosing to add a card. Skipping is good, and that's a big thing, but you shouldn't skip just because. So what I mean by that is 
you want to skip if the cards that you'd be adding to your deck aren't actually improving your chance of of like actually winning or beating a, a specific encounter so oh, that's not what i wanted to do um <laughs> yeah. so bigger decks can dil dilute the chance of drawing good cards so you don't want to add something to your deck that's not actually going to help you but if there is something in there that's going to help you with some aspect you do want to add it and the uh, i i think actually like a big piece of advice is um you, a streamer put this pretty well one time, is don't don't think in terms of archetypes necessarily, so don't be like, oh, I'm building a poison deck, I'm just going to add every poison card. You want to add cards to your deck, regardless of if they're in the archetype that you think you are, but to deal with problems. So like if you see that you're going to fight that needs a lot of scaling, add a scaling card to your deck, even if it's not part of what you think your strategy is, but because you need an answer for the problem that you see ahead. Things like that. Or, you know, add some uh, block or damage mitigation if you can see that your deck is has no way to do that, you know? Don't just take, like, the sweet poison or strength card, poison or strength deck. If you've already, like, really good on that, you don't need it. So that's the big thing. You want to be, be trying to address problems that you have in the moment. So what you're saying is one of the things oh, that I should that. do is actually scroll up and see what boss I'm fighting at the end of the act. That's that's I... very yeah, that's very important. So for example, you know, I have I'm... never done that. <laughs> so so <laughs> wow, uh, yeah, that, that <laughs> definitely makes it harder for yourself. Uh, and the, the other big thing I can say is just, like taking time. Big thing. So like uh, I try to still watch various streamers just to get like because it's a good way of actually like watching people play. Um, back when we did playtesting, we went to events a lot, you know, just, just like watching people play. It was, it's a great way to learn a lot and streamers are a good resource for that too. But, um, you'll see even like really talented streamers, they go like really quickly, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna start taking more damage when they don't need to using more often. So just like actually thinking about what you're going to do before you just start playing a card, big thing like, uh, you know, maybe plan out your turn a little bit, things like that. That doing just those steps will. Help. So, you touched on something right there that I wanted to talk about, and I had completely forgot forgot to talk about. Speed runs. You mm -hmm. have on top of everything else that you've embraced. You've really embraced the speed running community. So, what is the fastest? What is the current speed <laughs> test? You. Know, speed oh, run God. record it's like sub five minutes it's, what yeah yeah it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh like so so that's actually something i can't so so you know i i can the game like on ascension 15 but i cannot speed run the game so i am madly impressed by it and i love seeing the videos when they get posted of new records and stuff like it just blows me away um, and, and yeah, we have embraced it because, you know, as a player, like you always want to think from a player perspective too. As a player, I always find it very, very cool when I watch, um, when I watch games get speed run in an interesting way. So like even games I don't give two shits about, right? It's like I watched, uh, a while back, I watched like a Spyro the Dragon speed run. I'm not like interested in Spyro the Dragon, right? I remember it from my childhood, but it was really cool watching, you know, 
watching all the various little tricks and things and just enjoying the speed run. And so it's a way for players to engage and enjoy your, your game. And why not embrace it? By embracing it, you're putting it out to more eyeballs, right? Like when, when a big world record was done, uh, you know, various people wrote articles about it. You know, they posted up videos of the game that goes out to more more potential players who see this crazy shit happening and wow i got to take a look at this by by like my kind of ethos is you know embrace your players as much as you can and like that's only going to help you so well all right so to a point because you know again this brings up you know you, that's one of the themes that i'm hearing over and over you know, you are so screwed, Andy, by the way. Um, Dude, did you see that? You just did five I, times six damage. I, I, I'm I like, I wanted to flip off the screen so bad. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I keep hearing from you is, you know, we embrace this from game. We embrace the, the community localization and the speed running and, you know, the, I don't know, beta, beta test, the early, early action. You know, all yeah. this have you found a point yet where you're like, okay, I think we might have embraced too much. <laughs> uh, not yet. Uh, it could happen. I know. Couldn't. Um, I mean, by far, you know, the thing about it is just that it, you know, <clears throat> it takes a long, a lot of time. And, uh, but you know, it's, it's fun when you're, you know, when you're working on something that you've just like poured your life into kind of, it's just, I, I find it rewarding. And then Casey and I are both, in that sense so it works out but but you know uh we'll see we'll see i'm screwed <laughs> we we knew that um this right, hold on. Nice. see i actually really like great you broke <laughs> up there anthony what, what was it you really like what oh i i like it when i watch players i'm dead that's great <laughs> <gasps> i'm not dead yeah, you are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's like, is he? Yeah, he's dead. I could have added so, it, but I would. I mean, what's the difference from eight damage and six damage when I'm almost that dead? You needed. You needed more poison. That's what you needed. Um, I'll try again who, tomorrow. It says you've got hundreds of relics. Who comes up with these? Where do you get the ideas for you know the cards and all of these relics? Oh, yeah. Because mm. it's I've been playing this game for weeks and, and I still find new relics that come up, you know? Yes. So how many relics so, are there? Uh, a lot, uh, over a hundred, there's like Jeez. 130 or something like that. I, I don't know the exact number right now cause it fluctuates. Uh, uh yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, so for both cards and relic and events and monsters, Casey and I both come up with designs and how it works is we kind of will like, We'll brainstorm a bunch of designs. We'll throw them at each other, and then we'll just be like, "No, nah, those are shitty. This one's interesting. We could try that." And that's like how we come up with initial designs. And then we'll like think about it more once we have some like good stuff or things we think might be interesting to test out. And then like eventually we'll just like implement it and put it in the beta branch and see how it works out. And that that's that's kind of how we've done everything the get go. So somebody had a question earlier, and I can't remember who it was, but, you know, are there any plans or have you thought about a pet class? Uh, the problem is screen real estate. So 
what I mean by that is if you imagined me summoning little like dudes on the ground, like little skeletons, I know people talked about like a necromancer class, where would they go, right? Because sometimes the enemies get really close to you. There's a lot of enemies. Um, so that's why actually the defect kind of actually like a about it. Your orbs are essentially little little summons that you do stuff with. So uh, I'm not saying that maybe we can figure out like an act pet class in the future, but that will not be the fourth class for sure. Um, we have moves, uh, I guess we have thought about it, but there are mm. problems, right? So. Well, I mean, it's, and that's There's actually, issues. You know, one of my, I, I like pet classes when I'm playing RPGs. You know, I also, I'm waiting for that drain life, you know, class or ability as well, you know, so I can cheat on my health a little bit <laughs> and, and suck it from my, you know, whoever I'm fighting. Um, I'm, I'm just looking to see what other questions that I had. So if you're out there in the world and you have a question and we haven't hit it, um, it's usually because I missed it in chat, pop it in again, you know, we'll do another round of that. Um, Ah, see what else. I'm thinking. What does he mean? So what I mean? What can you tell us about? You know, what's next? Where's the game going to go from here? How far? How far from version 1.0 do you feel that you all are? Uh, I'd like to. We'd okay. So we'd like to be 1.0 this year for sure. Maybe like early fall. Maybe late summer. It's almost early fall. You know I that, right? I, I, oh, I know. I know. <laughs> so, 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 so we'll see. But uh, what I mean by 1.0 is back when we first launched an early access, released like a roadmap, and the roadmap contained a bunch of things. And we're, we've almost finished everything on that roadmap, except for a few things. Um, that's like actually some of the stuff we're working on now. So, like the last couple of patches had less in them because we've just been working on some of this stuff that I can't really talk too much about, but uh, one of which is like a proper uh, proper ending for the game, I would say. So, um, so we're working on that now, and we're doing a lot of work on that. So, um, but, but once we reach 1.0 done, we're still going to be pushing out updates and things. Maybe not as often. Um, and we're going to go back and like work on more characters, things like that. I mean, the, the good thing about this game is it's easily expandable. Yeah. Like, just releasing a new character gives so much new playtime and space space, and you have all kinds of ideas. I mean, we have documents, documents, documents just filled with ideas. So, it's just, you know, finding the time and prioritizing. So, have you done, you know, on the, on the roadmap, have you done, is, is that public? I mean, is that you know, it's it's public, yeah. We posted and have link on hand, but it's it was like posted. To, um, if you if you Google Slay the Spire map, it will probably come. So what, probably. that's always that's always something that I'm interested about, just from how long I've done this as well, and the mentality that used to exist in the industry was, for God's sakes, do not tell the people what's coming. <laughs> uh, it has backfired in. Um, but, uh, nothing like major. So, uh, 
an example of this would be uh, we we said in our roadmap that, we, and then uh, that ended up being like we thought we, we ended up coming up with a cool design for it. We thought ascension was that like oh, um, this is like the way to do it the best in our game, and people really really liked the ascension system. But then people were like, well, that's... And we were like, oh, we don't know what we'll actually call it. And then it ended up being no one interpreted that as it. Um, in fact, everyone thought that they would just be an endless mode. And then so then we were like, oh, so we have to make an endless Even though we don't think an endless <laughs> mode is, like, very optimal in the game. Like, a lot of people want it. And so we made it. And, like, it exists. And it's, it's like, fun. But endless mode is, is like, a th I think you do, like, maybe once or twice. And done with. And that I always knew that that was the case, which is why something more like Ascension is more. Well, it's hard enough to get to the end of the spire. Yeah. Much yeah. less worry about, you know, what you're going to do afterwards. So, how many, what percentage, you know, is, when you're looking at your 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 big box of metrics, what percentage of games started actually make it to the end of the spire? Uh, it's varied over time and updates and as our player base has gotten better uh right now um for like a generic and it varies by for example for like a generic iron player they win the game about 16 percent of the time jeez <laughs> this game jeez. is not easy no, i mean it's, it's, it's intended to be hard but with, <laughs> but, but people Uh, yeah. I don't know if it was everybody, but you were breaking up really oh, bad there. Sorry, it sorry. might just be me. Um, so, but but what's interesting? I love win are winning a hundred percent of their games. So, um, so like like it's very interesting because the skill disparity in the player base is really high. Well, yeah, I mean, you've now hit that tipping point where you are becoming, you know, mass market. So it would. I would believe it would stand to reason that yes, you have your players that have been playing for months and months and months and are, and are really good and they know what they need to do and they plan everything ahead. But then you also have people like me that just came in, you know, a month ago mm -hmm. and we're still learning. And I don't think I'm to a 16% win rate yet by <laughs> any means. I've won, I've won once and it was on a daily where I pretty much had an immortal defect, the best I could figure. So, you know, <laughs> it's uh... that was <laughs> the, an accident. Oops! The, I just the, won. The dailies are generally de can be very degenerate. So, all right, so someone asked, "Is there any plan for a sorting mechanism in your hand? Group them by type, cost, etc." Um, in your hand? Well, actually, this is in deck, so it's probably when you go to the you know um, you look at it's, your. It's it's been a requested feature. It's not something we're acting upon right now. Uh, it may or may not be acted upon in the future. I, I, I can't say for sure. Uh, it's certainly not our current priority. I would say that. And so Gary asked, why does a robot need juice? <laughs> Everyone uh, needs it's magical juice, magical juice, clearly. Uh, just, you know. <laughs> oh, how, how does the defect need juice? Well, uh, maybe, you know, just pours the juice on it. It's like, and, you know, it's lubricant. It. It's like oil. Yeah, there you go. You know, you you gotta have it in there. Uh, are you going to Gamescom? 
I don't think so, actually. We we will be at PAX West, but I don't believe we'll be at Gamescom. I'm not going to Gamescom either. It's okay. Uh... <laughs> we, we actually get constantly... So we get constantly asked if we're going to be at all manner of events. And there's just, like, a ton of events. It's ridiculous. Yes. And I'm like, I am working on this game. I don't have time to... Uh, to, to do that so it's it's, it's kind of interesting that's another theme that we've discussed you know in the past on the show is if you wanted to you could be at a show every weekend you know it's, yeah, and, it's almost like comic book you know summertime and and i actually don't know how much value you actually get on a lot of those shows like i don't know if you do like roi on a lot of these shows like yeah going to some is good but like i don't know uh, i don't i don't think actually the roi is positive on a lot of people going to the events to but uh, that, that might be a controversial opinion but yeah no there, there very much is an ROI and, and you know yeah. there's a each show has its own theme you know if you're a developer going and looking for a publisher PAX West is you know not your best choice you know PAX West is very much a you know there are publishers there and there are you know acquisition folks for publishers there but it's mainly for consumers and mm -hmm. so you know We've talked about like Pocket Gamer Connects and Casual Connect. You know, those are more business oriented. So, you know, there very much is an ROI. And it's also a, are you targeting the right show for what you need at a given time? Um, and that's, it. that's, I mean, I have gone through, I know we, we've kept you for well over the hour that we have, you know, generally planned on this. So, you know, are there any, any other knowledge that you want to partake to everybody? And, and while you're thinking that through, uh, last call for the raffle, hit the raffle for our, our second code on the game. Uh, um, I mean, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing that I that I said, or maybe I just touched on it, was like you need to, you should really when you're when you're thinking about the idea for your game, you should think about it in the context if you want to be like. You know, if, if you're caring about it commercially, you know, obviously that doesn't matter if you're just trying to be like an art project. But if you're if you're trying to reach as many people as possible, you have to think of it in the context of how people play games these days, and it's through Twitch, Twitch and YouTube. I mean, you know, or or the equivalent. And especially as an indie, I think it's and like uh, our marketing budget was zero dollars. So, but we reached out, we sent, we sent out free keys to people and that's all we did. And that's, that's how it worked. And, you know, if, if you're making a game that like a Twitch streamer is going to, they'll beat it in two hours, you're, you're not going to convert that many people, even if, a, even if they play it, like you need a replayable experience. And I think, like, you know, not every game needs to be, those are going to be the ones that make, make it easier on yourself. So. That's so did you use, when you were doing your key outreach, mm -hmm. how did you approach that? I mean, we used you mentioned that you were looking for other people that played like Hearthstone. You know, did you use key mailer or what? How did you go about doing that? Yeah, we used key. Okay. So I guess, I guess our marketing budget dollars for key mailer. <laughs> <laughs> What's that uh, like on key mailer? A hundred dollars or whatever it is to, you know, get the, the month of key mailer where you can like look at where you're featured channels. yeah um no we uh we didn't do the featured actually mm -hmm. we did the thing and analyzed like you can type in like hearthstone and pop up like people that stream hearthstone 
and you can like cross-reference different games. So like, I would be like, okay, who's played Hearthstone and FT? And then send all those people above a certain threshold keys, stuff like that. And it costs like a hundred bucks for like a month, but you only need it for like a month because, you know, one targeted month at around launch time is sufficient, I think. And then maybe not. I mean, but you could you could always go another month. But um, but yeah, basically that was all we did was we used email. I also like manually sent out keys to some people. Like I sent sent a couple emails with keys to a couple streamers that I watched. I think one of them ended up playing the game. I um, got a key. But yeah. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I mean, and that we didn't that then it kind of just ballooned from there. But people like streamers are looking for content. You know, like if you think about it from their perspective. They're looking for new games to play, especially ones they think are going to do well. Yeah, they're looking for, for the them. next big thing. Yeah, and, and not even that, just something that'll that will resonate with their viewers. And so you want to take it. You want to make it one streamers will want to pick up and play your game, and then two, you want to be something that can convert from that. So if you're a game that just watching it is the experience basically you know there's a lot of games that are like that there's nothing wrong. but you know like if i watch if i watch a streamer play like um a narrative game i'm basically experiencing that game you know and and yes. that's they're, they're gonna have a harder time as a result but, but a, a roguelike is it converts very well in that way so things like that matter a lot so. And, and you just hit on your uh, your elevator pitch for the game. You know, assuming you were at a show and you were looking for a publisher, it's Hearthstone meets FTL. Yeah, you know that's you know an, an absolute great analogy in there. But yeah, I know my son, you know, would sit and watch Breath of the Wild videos, you know, for hours on on YouTube, and I'm like. I couldn't explain to him that, you know, he's just basically ruining the game for himself. He didn't care, you know, but it was, you do have a tougher time when you have something that's, that's a narrative, you know, you could be seen as costing the developer sales because, you know, they're, they're experiencing the game, you know, without there. So, um, Gamer Strike, I mean, not Gamer Strike, uh, Gamer Husband says, who did the art for the game? Uh, so... Casey did the character art because um, he, he also does art stuff. And then um, and we also reached out to some freelancers to do the card and the background art and things like that. And they did a great job with it. Yeah. So, so it's basically it's me and Casey were the core directors and we reached out to for other art and audio. And, and, um, and one, another thing that, with the artwork with this, like if you go pixel art or if you go like trying to make the top-of-the-line gra- 3D graphics, this art's going to hold up. And 10 years from now, people will look at this game and say, oh, this looks pretty. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And, some, and, some of the and, newer technology just d- will not hold up for five years. So, yeah, and I guess we could talk about that. Um, so we we thought about art because, you know, some people don't like the game, and that's fine. But um, but it's different, So and that's important because it stands out. I don't think you should... I, just, I shouldn't say that. But making a pixel game is a good way to not right? Like, it's, uh, unless your pixel art is gorgeous, it's, you have a tough time ahead of yourself. So, thinking about ways to stand out with matter, 
and art, art's just kind of weird is how I would describe it to people. Um, and like one of the things we thought about when we were thinking of the classes in my original design document, you know, it was warrior, wizard, rogue, those would be the three colors. And then we looked like on Steam Spy at various game companies that just had generic like D&D style warrior, wizard, rogue, couldn't differentiate them from each other. Yeah. And we're like, well, let's make our classes a bit weirder. Silent, like does not look like a traditional, she looks weird, you know, and like, and that weirdness helps a lot. I don't know. No, oh. I mean, it, I had never actually thought of it, but yeah, it's hard to make your <laughs> art stand out when you do, you know, pixel art because a lot of pixel art looks the same. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it is the same, but, you know, it's easy to sit down and, and look at it and, and have a tough time differentiating, you know, between everything. Whereas, no, your characters aren't, and, and they're not, the characters aren't necessarily easy to classify at first before you start playing them as well. You know, you, because mm -hmm. you didn't name it, here's a rogue, here's a hunter, here's a, you know, paladin, here's, you know, whatever you want to call it. You know, you have to play through a couple of times and, and, and unlock, you know, some of the later on cards for that class before you start getting a real feel for this is how that class plays exactly so, yeah. yeah all right so raffle we're gonna give away the other ticket i mean the other key so close that one pick a winner gamer you're the winner yeah we should do another let's roll that again what do you think <laughs> <laughs> congratulations gamer husband you were here for the entire show and you want a key, so he know. has never ever won anything from me ever. Well, that's because you rigged yours. That's because, no. <laughs> rigged. Uh, let's see, I got a transformer card. This one, and this is, I mean, and, and so you know, this is the this adds like the random onto random. You know, Andy just gave away one of his really nice cards for a common card. I know. I, I, I didn't realize that it would like change the card. I thought it was going to buff it. And I, and I just buffed that card too. So I'm. Uh... <laughs> and now you know next time around. So, all right. Oh, Anthony, thank you so much. We really appreciate this. This is awesome. We had a good time. Hope you did. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And then. Uh... It gave me a good uh, reprieve from working for a bit. Well, that's what this show does for us too. You know, it's just. <laughs> You know, like right after this, I'm going to start getting to work. So. Yeah, I have a company to run, but, you know, twice a week I sit down and do this because it's, you know, fun. It's, it, you know, and we get to meet a lot of awesome people. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep us posted on everything. You know, if there's any way that, you know, we as our community of, of users can ever help out, of course, call on us. Um, and with awesome. that. Yeah, join our, join our Discord. Uh, did you post a link to the Discord there? Join our Discord. Follow us. You know, if you subscribe, you get all these awesome I love indie game emotes. Yeah, you as get well. do, 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 do. that one right there. Uh, and yeah, let's yeah, look. Yeah, yeah. Find us somebody to raid, Andy. You're, you're the raid. You're the raid leader. Okay. Let's see here. Twitch.tv. Are we looking at game dev? Sure. Sure.
Oh, let's raid Outstar. She used to work at GOG. Outstar is awesome. So here we go. And what we do is we are going to say, so here we go. Raid. Oh, can I do it? There we go. Say IGB raid. Bam. And then uh, we can do our little emote there. Outstar is Thanks awesome. Thanks for the follow, everyone. Yeah, thank you, guys. She used to work for uh, Good Old Games. Nice. Then Thanks she went again, Anthony. Streamer. I hope you will come back and, and hang out with us from time to time. Uh, to, yeah. Uh, to take a break from, from the real work, too. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Here we go. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.